I tell you right now, it was parts of that worship. I, I almost didn't make it up here. Amen. <laughs> it was so good to my soul. Um, today, I, I want to give that warning again. Uh, I, I'm going to talk about a subject and I'm going to speak about something that maybe if you have a child here that you might not want to him or her to hear right now. And so I just want to be careful what I say uh, in front of young people, and particularly if you're not ready to have that conversation. I just don't want to make it an awkward ride home, amen? <laughs> I'm just trying to make it too awkward. But, uh, but it, so you can go and take your child with you to the Cornerstone Kids. They are, they, could, they are expecting more kids. Um, but uh, as we continue in our worship, I want everybody to open their Bibles up to Matthew 5. We're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so would you open your Bibles up to chapter uh, Matthew, I mean Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 through 30. And I'm going to read what the Lord has to say to us today. And he says this, he says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your love, for your grace today, God. Thank you for loving us, God, in such a way that you would give us your truth, God. It's, it's sobering, God. I, I know for many of us that when we read this, we're getting kind of anxious to what I might, I might even might say today, Lord. Father, I pray that, that the people don't look at necessarily the, the, uh, the restriction only. But look at their hearts and know that, God, you love them so much that you gave your son for them. So, Father, I want to, if I can, Lord, give me the desire and the hope of the gospel to present before your people. Lord, thank you for giving me uh, this text to preach. Thank you for hiding me behind your cross because it's your word that stands alone, not me. Father, let your people be obedient to your word. It's in Jesus' almighty name. Amen. You may have your seat. Man, praise God. Praise God. Look, if I told you that the world is broken, what, what would you say? Uh, what, what, what could you say, right? And what I mean by broken is that we tend to misuse everything that God has created, right? Uh, 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 one of the greatest areas... That, 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 uh, that shows our brokenness is in, the, is in our experience with sex. Uh, this is one of the areas, even for myself, that I've had to wrestle with constantly throughout my life. What I, what I mean is how, how I viewed sex and sexuality and how it's been distorted by my sin. At one point, my life was consumed with trying to fulfill my passions. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who's that, who, whose experience is like that. Uh, let's be honest, y'all. Let, let's be frankly honest. Because uh, if, if we don't be honest, uh, we, we can't be real. If we can't be real right now, then we can't find help. Can we? Let, let's, be, let's be honest because what we've seen in our culture is, 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 is so much destruction that sex has caused, right? 
We've seen people have affairs. We, at least four of my friends have cheated on their wives. Right? I've seen people so addicted to pornography that they, they desire that more than they desire their spouse. I've seen children become victims and women become victims of people's sexual madness and be sexually abused and raped. I've seen people use sex to manipulate and gain stardom. I've seen people in marriages use sex as a weapon to punish their spouse. And some of these other things don't even seem as harmless, right? I've seen people use sex or their sexuality as their core identity. I've seen uh, sex or, or the word adult be mis, uh, I guess, uh, 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 got a new definition and redefined to communicate what? Sensuality. I've seen people equate sex with love. Listen, I, I'm confused because if this is what broken people do with sex, then why do do our hearts love it so much and want it so much? Because Jesus is being bold. He's he's putting it right here in our face. He's trying to get our attention. He's saying we live in a broken world, and the greatest thing that's impacted by by this is our sexuality. Uh, Listen, friends, we have to be sober. There's a problem that we have in our, our culture. Sex is good. What God creates is good. That's that's, that's true, right? Here's the thing what Jesus is trying to communicate through this text. He's not saying that sex is bad. He's saying sex is good. The problem is with our lust. See, see, here's the thing, y'all. I think we got to understand the the nature of the war. That that through sin, our our, our hearts latch on to sex and we become greedy. We try to force it to serve us, but it ends up mastering us. Amen? Jesus, on a sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount, says our hearts grab onto things, and they lead us in a certain direction. So here's my bottom line. Here's my bottom line. Where your hearts go, your body is sure to follow. Amen or oh me. I, I have two points today. Uh, there's a the battle in your heart, and there's a battle in your body. So, so, so when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is not just telling us uh, who we are, but how to live. Jesus is correcting the spiritual leaders of the day and how they are misusing the law. You see in this, in this text, there's this phrase, you've heard it say, but I say, and it's repeated over and over. See, what Jesus is not doing is trying to uh, uh, abolish the moral code. But what he's doing, he's deepening the meaning. He's exposing the true nature of our hearts. God has a standard, and it's not negotiable, my friends. It's not. Uh, Look, look, this isn't something that's passe, and it doesn't apply for today. See, God created sex, and sex should be used how God desires it to be used. Amen? But our sins distort this, right? We misuse it. I know we don't live perfectly, friends. That, that's not what I'm saying. But we, we are to strive to live with his strength. What God is trying to do really is he's trying to guard us. He's trying to, he's trying to guard us from the madness around us. He's trying to guard us from the consequences of our sin. He's trying to help us flourish. He wants us to enjoy sex. That's what God wants. See, see I want to encourage the Christians here today. I want, to, I want to encourage you because I think when we talk about these subjects, we can get extremely discouraged. We can get extremely hurt by it, right? 
We, 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 we try to, we go into deep uh, 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 discouragement. But here's the thing, we should go into deep celebration because my friends, we only tend to look at the command. And the gospel becomes like white noise. It's all in the background. We don't hear the truth and the, and the context behind the command. See, look, if you look in the context of Matthew, what Jesus is trying to do is, is say, what God is trying to do is say, it's Jesus who saves, who, who redeems us, who gives us hope. Here's, here's what he does. He helps people uh, uh, through his sacrifice on the cross and frees us to live in these ways. If we look intently at Christ and what he's done on the cross for us, we can start to move in the direction and start to live in a way that pleases him. See, when we get our text today, Jesus is really trying to put sex in the right place. And and it all starts internally. That's why my first point, there's a battle of our heart. Verses 27 and 28 say this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What I mean is our hearts, in our hearts, we take God's gift of sex out of context and we try to make it do something that it never was created to do. Like, like, look, look at this. like things, like all things, uh, God creates sex with a purpose and it's supposed to serve that pr- purpose. And, and it has a context in which it's supposed to be expressed and enjoyed. It's like, uh, you know, when you go to Ikea and you, and you buy a chair and, and when you look at the directions from the, uh, a chair that you know how to put them together. But unlike the directions from Ikea, God's directions are much clearer. Amen. <laughs> so when you put when you put when you put the chair together, you know, you can't put the, 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 the legs in the wrong place, can you? And most times you can't now because it has a proper position. And then when you try to use a chair, you don't use it. As, some of y'all do this, right? Y'all try to use it as a laptop stand. And you try to use it as a ladder to pick, get something off a shelf. But here's the thing. It has a proper use. This is what God says, that, 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 that sex has a proper use, and it's supposed to be in a certain context. God has created a context in which we are supposed to express our sexuality. Listen, those four words in the Bible, the first four words in the Bible, in the beginning, God says a lot about how we're supposed to use things, how we're supposed to look and view sex. We cannot choose to do with sex what we want. The context that he created sex for is between a man and a woman. Singular, amen? Genesis has already said something about that. The first marriage expressed that between a man and a woman when it says two shall become one flesh. Here's the thing. Sex is a gift to God's creation. It's beautiful. It expresses a commitment, responsibility. It, it expresses deep intimacy. Sex is deeply relational. It's pleasurable. It's for enjoyment. It's a reflection of God's commitment to us. That's what it is. This is why this, uh, this, this command is rele- relevant for today, right? Do not commit adultery. So, see, here's the thing. I think we need to understand what adultery is. It's when we have sex outside of marriage, with, you know, outside of the context of a, a marriage. It's when a person goes and has sexual intercourse when they're married with somebody else. Adultery violates the marriage commitment and, most important, God's plan for the marriage. God calls us to be faithful in our marriage to reflect his faithfulness. Here's what I'm not advocating, though. That all heterosexual expressions of sex are holy or perfect or even good. Any sex outside of God's intended context and purpose is sinful. 
It's not just cheating on your spouse. It's any lust-filled desire, like porn, like, sex, like sensual IG posts, selfish sexual desires. What I like is what Adrian Ewan says in his book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. He advocates that, that what the gospel does is make our hearts new. It makes us sane again. And so he says the goal of our sexuality is not hetero, but holy. We are to be submitted to God because he created sex for him, by him, right? To, to communicate something to us about him. Here's the thing. I think we can focus on the, the context of sex, but miss something really, impro- uh, really important. There's a proper use for sex. When you read this, you might be thinking he's only, especially this text, he's only addressing men or men are the only ones with the problem. Here's the thing, y'all. He's addressing men because in this time, men, uh, men could have sex with any woman they wanted to unless it was another man's wife. And women were supposed to stay faithful. And now y'all might be like, that's unfair. That's kind of fair. But see, he was, what he's not, what Jesus is not doing is trying to say, we have equal opportunity to sin, my friends. That's not what he's trying to do here. See, we measure that in our culture, don't we? I have two boys. And one of the things, when my born boy gets caught, you know, doing something wrong, first thing he does is say, well, my brother did it. See, what that does is, is, is give us permission to do something wrong, does it? Uh, see, when we look at people, we can't look for somebody to take our directions from. Just because when they, they say, hey, he did it, then so I should do it. That's not how it works. It's, if we're going to do that, we need to look at the perfect one. Jesus came here, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. And so if we're going to measure ourselves up to somebody, it should be him. The perfect one. Jesus. But here's the thing. Let me ask this question. Where is your standard for your sexuality coming from? God created sex. Is his voice the loudest when you think about your own sexuality? Uh, 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 Whether you're single, married, male or female, you are to be submitted to God's standards for sexual purity. Friends, there are only two ways we can really use sex. I want to be honest. We can use them either for commitment or as a consumer. Uh, And let let me just make sure I'm clear. Just because you're married does not mean you're using sex for the right purpose. Amen? Some of us go into marriage and we think and we can be blind to the, the, the purpose of what sex is all about. It becomes unspiritual. It doesn't serve a purpose. What it does is it becomes more about being a consumer than a commitment. A consumer is you see sex is something that serves your needs. You may think of it's something, it's something you need. I think we teach men like that, don't we, in our culture. We teach men like, hey, sex is something that, that it's a need for a man. I think that's very dangerous. Though I think sex is important in the context of marriage, and it should happen. But here's the thing. When we talk, teach sex is a need for men, we're lending itself to be for consumerism. Sex as a consumer demands that sex meet our needs. It's for our pleasures. It's where we are satisfied. It's where we are pleased. And if it doesn't please, uh, please us, we go somewhere else and look for it somewhere else. It leads us to promiscuity. It doesn't lead us to commitment. It's about receiving and getting. There's no commitment. We put, look, look, when sex as a consumer puts demands on sex that it never can carry. We try to satisfy ourselves with sex. Fulfill ourselves. We try to let sex give us a meaning for our lives. The real, see, the world around us has a standard, don't they? Some of us come in, you know, the world says, I'm not going to have sex until I find somebody I love. I- I'm going to wait a while and wait till I'm committed to somebody. Then I'll, I'll have sex. 
Or I'm, I'm monogamous. I don't just sleep around with anybody. But here's the problem with that. It's all consumerism. It's, it's trying to use sex to keep people interested in you. It's trying to use sex for people to stay committed to you. It's all consumerism. It's using sex for less than what it's really meant for. It's, 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 it's making sex lower, and it's saying it's nothing but a beautiful package with an empty, with an empty box. Pornography is sex as a consumer. I want to deepen the definition of pornography for, uh, for us if I can. It's anything that markets sex uh, and, and, and incites sensuality, uh, sexual arousal for self-gratification. Let me read that again. It's anything that markets sex and incites sexual arousal for self-gratification. It robs it from its relational purpose that God created it for. It's about personal gratification. It makes people an object for you to use, for you to consume. It's empty. It's hollow. That's why we have a problem objectifying people in this culture, don't we? That's why we see, 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 see people easily use and, and throw people away when they're done with them sexually. That's why billionaires can, can, can have a secret sex island and they can have a sex ring and, and they, can, they can go and do whatever they want because it's a commodity. It's not about commitment. Porn is a billion-dollar industry. It will cripple our economy. It's sex as a consumer. Let me ask you a question. Why do people promote sensuality then? Because it's consumer. Or promote their bodies all over the, uh, on social media just for a, a couple of dollars. It, it's, it's about being a consumer. Sex is for, it's for commitment. It, it, so what I mean by commitment, it's deeply relational and spiritual. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 17. It says, don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord, listen to this, is one spirit with him. Look, listen, it expresses, this verse expresses the spirituality of sex and the relational aspects it has with God and our spouse. Why shouldn't you uh, uh, attach yourself or have sex outside of marriage or be joined to a prostitute? Because it's deeply relational with God. It's about giving. It's about serving. It's about intimacy. It's about worship. It reflects the marriage vows that reflect Christ's relationship with the church. It's selfless. It's about care, right? Listen to me. It's an enduring pursuit. It's, 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 it's selfless. It costs every, people everything. It's not just about putting our bodies together. Because we're putting our heart, mind, soul, and, 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 and all into it. My friend, sex for commitment is, is not about personal pleasure. It's about giving away ourselves. It's about how Christ gave himself on the cross for us to create a commitment for eternity. Jesus is giving us meaning to, for our sexuality and the context in which it should be expressed. He's also setting limits to sex. Look at the phrase he uses here. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Jesus is dealing with the heart, just like he did last week. Lust is adultery of the heart. It's not just what you do physically with your bodies, right? It's what's going on in your heart. Our heart leads us, friend. Lust comes from the heart. See, we become what we behold, what we let into our eyes, will come down to our heart, will create desires, and then they'll move us in a direction. 
Amen or oh me? Lust is a desire to covet. It's about our hearts grabbing onto something and trying to make it do something it was never meant to do. James 1.14 tells us that our, our, it's our evil desires that lead us into sin. What I'm saying, our desires are never neutral. They're either evil or good. This is very important, church. Our desires have the ability to lead our hearts in a direction, and lust is leading it in a direction to covet. Coveting is when we want something because what we think we have is not good enough, right? We want something somebody else has because we think it'll be, it'll be better than what we have. That's what coveting is. It's saying, hey, what you have will please or satisfy me more than what I have. That, that's, what, that's what coveting is. It says, man, it's about greed. It's about obsession. I love what Russell Moore had to say. He said, it's like a man craving salt when he's dying of thirst. It's madness. It's thinking it will give you life, but it's really killing you. It's insanity. I love what Paul Tripp had to say in his book, Sex in a Broken World. He says, we've all gone culturally insane. The level of functional delusion or self de- of self-deception and self-destruction that accompanies the way we approach it, meaning sex, is simply crazy. You don't have to look very far to see that we've gone sex insane. We put sex in, in a place it was never intended to be. But we seem to fail to see the danger. Friends, lust for lusting after sex is dangerous and it hurts and it cripples our relationships. I, I got five things. I, I got a list of five things. I want to see if any of these things fit you. It gives us unhealthy expectations, right? For beauty and for sexual experiences, physical appearance and performance. That's what pornography does. And two, it significantly diminishes the tolerance for relationships. Hey, look, we, we, we don't want relationships unless there's sex, sex offered in the relationship. We'd rather have a relationship with ourselves. That's what, that's what masturbation does. Three, uh, uh, we, uh, women have been encouraged to accommodate the style and appearance of porn. And men accommodate what? Every woman's romantic fantasy. That's what it does. It makes us accommodate just so we can, we can, we can, we makes people move and, and mold so, so that we can use them. It over, look at four, it over-sexualizes our relationship between genders. Men and women find it hard to become friends. Amen? Isn't it? How many times when you, you, you're, you're with a young lady, a brother, and it's kind of hard for you to look at her as just a sister, to love and care for her soul without trying to get something from her. So it's the same thing for you. And number five, it chases after more deeper experiences. Commitment is based on the amount of pleasure a person gets. You don't want a relationship with anybody unless it pleases you first. You dump any relationship that feels like, man, I, I, I don't like it anymore. It's got to please me first. Lust reveals our brokenness because it, it reveals what we think will make us happy. We try to use sex to satisfy us uh, for identity and for intimacy. So let me, let, me, let me take these things apart. Satisfy for identity and, and intimacy. Why is sex a place where you can't find satisfaction? Because it's a fleeting pleasure. It's temporal. See, God created sex to be pleasurable, yet it doesn't ultimately fulfill us. Every sexual pleasure or every pleasure that God has created in all humanity is supposed to be a directional sign pointing you back to the creator. 
I love what Paul Tripp goes on to say in his book. He says, pleasure exists to put God in my face and remind me that I was made by him for him. Pleasure, like every other created thing, was designed to put God at the center, not of just my physical joy, but my deepest thoughts and motives of the heart. Pleasure exists to stimulate worship, not of the thing, but of the one who created the thing. One of the truths we have to embrace about God is this. It's found in Psalm 1611. It says, you reveal the path of life to me. It says, in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand, or what? Eternal pleasures. Our hearts have to embrace and desire a greater pleasure, friends. See, y'all, our definition of repentance is too simple now, church. We just say, hey, it's about going back to God. But what it is, is it's forsaking these temporal pleasures and replacing with an eternal pleasure. If you really want to repent of your sin in your life, you're saying these things are temporal. They will never fully satisfy. They'll never fully give me identity. They'll never fully do anything in my life. What they'll do is they'll be temporal. I need something eternal. That's what you want. That's what you need. That's what you're crying out for. That's what your soul is crying out for. I want to say this to my single and married folk. Sex is not everything. It's not everything. But our lust makes it everything. The pleasure of sex is meant to remind you of the glorious union we have in, to go with God through Christ. Let me, let me explain this. Why is sex not a place we can find identity? The simple answer is that we're more than our sexuality. Saying hetero, homo, bi, trans is our identity is limiting us just to sexual, uh, as a sexual being. We're much more than that, right? Sex serves a greater purpose, and so do we. Another way to look at this is many of our brothers and sisters hold to their sexual purity and their sexual desirability as their identity. W- what do I mean? I-, I mean, we wrap ourselves so tightly on how well we've kept ourselves sexually pure, or who finds us sexually desirable. Now, what I'm not saying is sexual purity is not important. I will say God upholds that all throughout Scripture. Yet too many times I've seen too many people uh, 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 come to conclusions about Christ's love for them based on them how well they've kept themselves sexually pure and how sexually desirable they are. Haven't you said this, man? God, God, why haven't you given me a spouse? Does nobody desire me? That's what we're doing. It becomes an idol. It's not, see, here's the thing. It's, it's, we think keeping a command is the way to relationship with God, but it's faith and repentance in His Son. To know yourself is, is to know God through His Son Jesus. You are created in the image of God. Your identity is not fully known in your sexuality. It's known through you knowing God. Why is sex not intimacy or relationship? Friends, this could be obvious, but I do believe Sex is an act of intimacy, amen? We could all agree with that, but that isn't all what intimacy is. What I mean is God created us for relationship. Marriage is not the only relationship there is. It's not the ultimate goal for our lives. It's the most intimate union we can have in humanity, I would agree with that, but it's not the only expression of of intimacy in union. We are to be known sexual intimacy is a form of vulnerability, It's not the only form, though, right? God has given us a a, a place where we can have the ability to share ourselves with others without sex. 
It's within the church where God has, has created the, this body of Christians who we can be vulnerable with. See, here's the thing. It's not a license to sin, but it's a license to be fully known. We can expose our hearts, all the evil, all the wickedness, but also the goodness and be fully accepted here. See, everything is a directional sign that points back to intimacy with Christ. Paul put life in perspective. He says he considered everything in his life trash compared to knowing God in Philippians, right? See, what is the answer to our brokenness, though? If you can agree right now, after I painted this picture, that I I would say that all of us is broken in some some form or fashion, the way we look at sex. How we look at sexuality, all of us have some brokenness. See, here's the thing. We have to to realize that we've all taken... God's gift out of context and recognize that our lust is sin. And we try to make it do what it was never meant to do. We must turn away from our sin. That's the first step. And that only happens through Christ. He, look, he changes our desires. He, he, he forms us. He shapes us. And, and now we can flourish when we recognize that. If you aren't a Christian, I want you to know there's more to life than these temporal pleasures. You try to use sex to satisfy You try to use sex for identity. But God says the only way to know your identity and to satisfy you and to find intimacy is through him, knowing his son, Jesus Christ. And and if I I invite you into that relationship, and if you are a Christian here, you got to know one thing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they will what? See God. The problem with us is we have remaining sin. And what the gospel does, it, it tries to reorient, or reorient our hearts to desire God more than we desire anything in our lives. Then we use sex and put it in its right proper place as an act of worship to God. God is here to restore and heal the sexually broken. That's what he wants to do. He's offering you intimacy with himself. Please know, Jesus came to expose our hearts, friends. The battle of our hearts are won. When we desire God, we desire God, and, and, and Jesus, desiring Jesus is the ruling desire of our hearts. Here's the thing. Our, the battle of our, our hearts are won when we engage the battle of our bodies. Jesus is really practical, practical for the rest of these verses because he's trying to tell us if we don't engage this battle of the body, then ultimately our hearts are lost. So there's a battle in our body. That's our second point. Let's read the next two verses. It says, in verse 29, it says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. There's this former uh, millionaire by the name of John Pedley, and he got his wealth from a, a telecommunications company. During his, it wasn't until uh, 2002 where he got in this horrible car accident and almost lost his life where things started to shift for him. That's where he found Jesus. And, and through knowing, following Jesus, his eyes were open to the futility of his life. Because if you asked him how to describe himself prior to knowing Jesus, he said, man, I was a, a convicted criminal. I was an adulterer. I, I, was, I, was, I was a selfish man. But in 2010, he did something miraculous. He gave away all his wealth. He gave away everything. He gave up living in this million-dollar farmhouse to go living in a mud hut in Uganda and started a charity 
towards local, local orphans. See, if you would look at John Petty's life, you would say, man, he owns all these precious things. He owns all these amazing things, but he saw them as really worthless. He gave it up because there was a greater value in something else. The battle of our bodies refer, referring to sacrifice. We have to re, be willing to sacrifice things because that we give value because, look, the, the cost is too great. We have to be willing to sacrifice, to gain. See, this is the last time Jesus says this, to cut off your hand and, 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 and pluck out your eyes. He actually adds in Matthew 18, another one, cut off your foot. All throughout Matthew and about the Bible, Jesus telling us we must have to sacrifice to gain. In chapter 16, he tells us whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He goes on to say that in chapter 16, he says, if you want to be his disciple, we must pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and then what? Follow him. Jesus is not being literal here, though. That seems a little extreme. You're like, man, Jesus, you really want me to pluck out my eye, cut off my hand? What he's doing is using hyperbole, and what that means, he's using serious language to shock us into the seriousness of how we need to deal with our lust. Listen to this. Sacrifice is gain. Like he did with the Beatitudes. He's kind of turning things on its head, right? He's kind of telling you, man, if you sacrifice, you really are going to get more. That's kind of crazy to us. We can't think about it. Our minds don't wrap around that. But it's true. Man, we can't act like we're not uh, being inundated or, or being influenced by the perverse world around us. I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's, it, you can't think that you're not normalizing or you're being desensitized to the, to the sexuality around us. We are. All of us are. In this sermon, Jesus is telling us uh, the world is not our home. See, what he's done is he's gathered the people to himself and established his kingdom. We are to live countercultural in this world. He says our hearts, a heart that is won by Jesus is going to follow him and, and move in the direction that honors him. This takes giving up some things, right, that we place value in. Let me be honest with y'all. Something gives value to your life. Something gives value to your life. Uh, something makes you happy. You got to point it out. You better figure out what that is. Because here's the thing. There's some things that Jesus has clearly said no about. Pornography and masturbation is one of them. Uh, 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 he says, like, yo, these things, the reason why you're doing it is because they add to your life in a, in, a, in a very twisted way. You like them because you feel like if you, if you have them, they're giving you something. They're, they're adding something to your life. There's some people in here who might even be engaging in a sexual relationship outside of marriage right now. You're doing it because it's adding something to your life. You're doing it because it's fulfilling some need that you think you have. That is filling a void in your life. Maybe it's because you're lonely. Maybe because you're, you're, you're always sick of nobody desiring you. Maybe it's because you, you're hurt so bad and you just want somebody to make you feel good, but you're willing to compromise your life. Here's the thing, y'all. There's some things that are harmless, that, that, that are compromising us. Watching shows that encourage sinful lust in our hearts. Friends who have conversations that are kind of provocative. You know what I'm saying? Those, those conversations where the boys be like, hey, bro, look at her, man. She, oh, man, oh, boy, oh, you know what I'm saying? Or sister, ooh, girl, look at him, he's fine. 
Or it might be friends who, 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 who encourage you to express your sexual freedoms. Like how you dress. They want you to accentuate your, your, your figure. Or they want you to holler at a girl because she dresses sexy. My point is, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to give up things that you think add to your life, give you value, because the cost is too much. My, my mother used to say this. She used to say something. It, it was a really wise thing. My mother said some things I just really didn't get. But I remember when she used to tell me, Mo, you have uh, caviar taste but tuna fish money. <laughs> that means I'm broke <laughs> and I can't afford nothing that I want. What I'm saying is you have tuna fish taste but caviar money. God has called us to a high calling. You are a royal priesthood. You are of his kingdom. You are co-heirs to the kingdom. Look, you are giving up something. You're giving up the kingdom for a cheap substitute, a knockoff of intimacy, of, of identity, and satisfaction. Friends, the text is explicit here. We need to take this seriously because you, if you don't, the loss is tremendous. It's tremendous. First Corinthians 6, 9 says this. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. He's covered the first two topics I talked about. This sex and anger. From last week. What I'm saying is our lust reveals our hearts. Our hearts lead our bodies. It shows to us and all the people around us who our master really is. Who you really worship. Jesus is saying, if you're in my kingdom, I should see transformation, change in your attitudes, in your heart towards me and towards that thing. Look, friend, I'm not saying this about perfection. Because Jesus already provided the goodness you need. To meet God's requirements. He's done that through the cross of Christ. Amen. That should be time for us to celebrate, church. It's not about earning God's approval. He's already done that for you. But it's about direction. Who is your master? Who is really leading you? Who is your heart captured by? Where do your affections lie? Is it Jesus? My friend, he mentions hell, and this is serious. He's talking about total spiritual death. Your direction reveals your true spiritual state. This is a warning from Jesus. This is why the text is telling us to get rid of everything that might cause us to sin. The cost is too great. Friends, I'm not talking about become monks and move to some mountain, uh, you know, and some monastery in the mountains. What I'm talking about is that we are to be called, we are called to be light in the world, salt of the earth. We don't hide, we shine. We add to this world, but we have to be different. The call is to be different, to stand out. I believe we're so focused in this generation, particularly this generation, on our Christian liberties more than what it means to follow and love Jesus. I believe we have freedoms, and we have to realize in 1 Corinthians 6, he goes on to say that everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Then goes on to say the body is not for sexual immorality, but for who? The Lord. Our ruling desire has to be for Jesus, and we've got to be willing to leave everything behind for the cause of Jesus, just so we can embrace him and have him. 
is your desire for Jesus ultimately. That you're willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to see him, to be with him. We have to take this extremely important. We got to act like, we can't act like this world doesn't impact us in some ways. It's like, here's the thing. What we let into our hearts will move us in a direction. But here's the thing. We're, we're, we're made to admire beauty. Let's not get that twisted. We are made to admire beauty. It looks at me. Nobody's drawn to what they might find revolting. Amen? Disgusting. Nobody is drawn to that. But here's the thing. When our, we, our hearts are usually taken over by what we, find that, what we find is most beautiful. We obsess over it, don't we? Here's the thing. I, I know that I'm not, this is not what the text is innately saying, but I want to say this. The Bible does talk about modesty. And we do have to be careful how we conduct ourselves with one another. You know, I believe that's, that's very important. So here's the thing. A lot of people, when we talk about modesty, we usually beat up the sisters. Uh, we say, hey, sister, you got to put some clothes on. That, that ain't righteous. In, in some ways, that is true, but it's the brothers as well. <laughs> Amen. Or oh, me. But one of the things I want to make sure is clear to you guys is this. It's, you got to know the heart behind it. Do you care about the weaker brother or sister? Do you care if a person's raging with lust and their desires are taking them away and leading them in a direction where they'll, they'll face great loss? Do you care about their soul enough to say, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes that my brother or sister might not stumble? But here's the thing. The onus is not put on the person and the way they dress and the way they talk. The onus is put on the person who has a problem struggling with lust. I think our, our, the biblical counselor, Heath Lambert, puts it in a good way when thinking about this. He shares the way to attack our problem is found in three things, uh, taking away the anonymity, the availability, the appetite. When he talks about anonymity, what he's talking about is if you're in a room and it's full of sexual imagery or, or sex, you won't look at it if Pastor John is right there next to you. Amen? If, if Big Mama is right there next to you, if, if Madea, if, if your Nana is right next to you, your spouse is right next to you, your homeboy that you have an accountability partner with, you won't look at it. What he's advocating here is to say, look, you need to bring somebody in to your struggle. You need to invite people into the room with you to know what you're dealing with. You can't get help if no one knows that you're struggling. Don't be blind. Don't be fooled. No one can hide sin and prosper. This is what he's saying here. But then he talks about availability. He talks about your access. So if I, if I took you outside that room and locked the door and threw away the key, you don't have access to it anymore, do you? What he's talking about is some people need to give people authority in your lives to tell you where to go, what you should not do, and give, you access, give, you, give them access to knowing what you're doing, but you need to give them authority in your life. Some of y'all think, man, when you're mad with lust, you ain't making no wise decisions. When you're mad with lust and you're, you're, you're being obsessed with lust, you're not going to make a wise decision. I don't know about anybody who does. When their sin is taking them over, that's what he means about access. When he talks about appetite, he says, if you leave the room, if I leave you in the room, and this might seem shocking to most of y'all, and, and you're in the room and it's all this sexual imagery around you, he said, you won't look if you have no appetite for it. Whoa, that might be a shocker that Jesus can actually do something like that. That Jesus is that powerful, that majestic, that beautiful. 
that we won't look at that. We don't desire that because we know the end of that. But we know in Jesus there's life. But the key thing is to starve yourself. To starve yourself of those things. He's saying you can't create hunger for something. Well, you know, you can't just keep eating Snickers and think you're, you're going to hunger for steak. Some reason, you, oh, you're going to look at steak. If you've never had steak before and you're eating a Snickers and that's all you know eating Snickers, you'll, look, you'll frown up to that steak. But once you taste that steak, boy, ooh, Lord. There's something different. There's something better. It's more nutritious. It's giving me life. I'm sorry to all y'all plant-based people. That might not make sense to you. Here's the thing. That might mean you need to get rid of your IG, Snapchat, dating apps, whatever it needs to be. Whatever is tempting you to sin, get rid of your, Get a flip phone. Get somebody to lock your apps. Give them the password. Do what you need to do because the cost is too great. And it might seem innocent. It might be the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch, the blogs you read, the books you read, the music you listen to, the YouTube channels you subscribe to, the one, anything that causes you or, or incites lust in you, you need to be willing to get rid of, to cut it off. I want to make sure that none of those things I just said are, are a problem. It's how we use them or misuse them. He says that what we do matters as well. See, when he's talking about it's not just what you view, it's what you do. That's a call to examine yourself. It's a call to look at your patterns in your life and see what are you doing that continues to happen. The pattern in your life where you you fall into these lustful patterns. It puts you in a position to sin and rebel against God. Some of us continue to hang around the same people. People who poison our minds. Listen to philosophies on how you get a man or how you keep a man. Amen. Or, or brothers who tell you, this is how you treat a woman. This is, how, this is how you view women. It's a cancer to your souls. It's the heart motivation. Jesus wants us to look at, at our lives and, and ask the question, why do we do what we do? It's about that post you just, that, that picture you just posted on IG. Why did you do that? It's about, why did you slide into that girl's DM, bro? Why did you do it? Ask yourself, what's the motivation behind your heart? Here's the thing. What he's trying to tell us is, and and this is very important, church. The reason why you want to cut these things off is they're getting in the way. They're getting in the way. What do you mean? For a person who's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's one, only one destination for you. We look ahead to what? What Christ has done for us, provided his kingdom. We have eternal gain. We are now seated at the right hand of the, or the, or right hand of the Father with Jesus. We have the eternal gain. Here's the problem. We have to put away the temporal pleasures. Because they're getting away of your destiny. I love what Hebrews 12 tells us. It tells us to lay aside every weight and sin and run in a direction uh, with patience. Man, Jesus has given us all. This is why we trust in what Christ has done for us. I, I know in this life we'll wrestle. It'll be struggles. That there'll be sacrifices, friends. That the things are going to be tough. But here's the thing. It was tough for Jesus. Well, he, look at me. He, he came down from heaven, put on human flesh. He was persecuted, prosecuted, and executed. All for the sake of bringing you back to himself. 
That's the gospel. He's promised you much more than these things can add to your life. They add nothing. They're, They're worthless. He wants to give you life eternally. And that's for the person who doesn't know Jesus. But for the person who does know Jesus, man, he's bought you with a price. He paid the price for you. And he's given you the freedom to love him, to live for him. To, to, you were once bound in sin, but now you are free. Oh, hallelujah. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Remember, this thing will, you think it's serving you, but it will master you. I know there's some people in this room right now who are being mastered by sexual sin. I want to offer you this. Jesus has already delivered you. He's already given you freedom. You need nothing else but what Christ has already offered you. But you also need, he's given you the body as well to confess your sins, to get help. If I, if I can tell you to do one thing today, one thing today is invite somebody into the struggle. Don't live in darkness. In darkness, you need to let the light shine in darkness. So that you, could, you can get the help that you need. There are people here who love you. If you're a member of this church, don't hide any longer. It will get worse. Where your heart goes, your body will follow. Don't think it's above you to do something crazy. It's definitely not above me. You must trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, God. Thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you that you've given us freedom in your son, Jesus. Thank you that you love us, God. You loved us in such a way, Lord, that you... Gave us, gave us more than just we could, we could ask. You gave us your kingdom. Father, we are now citizens of the kingdom. Those who call upon your name, God, are, are citizens of your kingdom. Man, God, let us just soak in that. Lord, we don't have to worry if, if the sins we did years ago have been forgiven or the sins we did to, uh, yesterday have been forgiven or the sins committed have, ha, 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 have been forgiven we, or even today. Because the answer is yes. But Father, we need to do as much as you've done for us. Our reasonable uh, response to that grace you've given us is to lay down our lives and to be living sacrifices for you, for your sake, to be used by you, God. So Father, thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name.